fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome to the program. A tremendous Thursday to you. It's The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 914 9149. 888 914 9149. That's a toll free line to talk to me for free. It's sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. Once again, 888 914 9149. You can also email the program kale, C A L E, at relevantradio.com. And you can find me on the X app at kale clark, C A L E. Clark with an E. And let me just throw this out at the start. Uh, I want to throw out this question, and we're going to talk about this in a couple minutes. I want to do something else first, but you want to grab a line and get in on this conversation. I, I'm a big believer in this 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 concept of shalom. And, and when the Hebrews talk about shalom, it's not just peace in terms of the absence of conflict. It, it's a total wellness a total holistic wellness of body, mind, and soul, being in right relationship with God and a right relationship with one another. That's really what the kingdom of God is all about. Those two vertical and horizontal beams really forming across the vertical relationship, as it were, with God, not that he's kind of up there, up in the air, and the horizontal relationship that we have, if you will, with other people. But this 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 total wellness, uh, not only among uh, friends and neighbors, but among nations, among all peoples of the world, this is really only going to be experienced, of course, in the kingdom when it comes in all its fullness, the new heaven and the new earth. But body, mind, and soul, I, I really do think there's a connection between these three. And God, God sort of willed it to be that way. Uh, this is why he's going to give us our bodies back at the resurrection on the last day. So, so here's my ultimate question about this. There, there's, I'm going to sort of borrow a, a title of a recent popular book, The Body Keeps the Score. Now, what I'm going to say is not really about that, if you've read that book, but do you think that there's ways that the body can kind of know things that you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily aware of with your conscious mind, but this is one of the ways that God can use to speak to you? What am I talking about here when I, when I say this? Well, obviously we're familiar with reactions of fear, you know, the hair going up on the back of our neck. But has your body ever told you it's time to get out of this relationship? You know, whether it's a, a personal relationship or, or a professional relationship, things are not right. And it's kind of manifesting in the body. The body is kind of telling you uh, through this unease. Maybe you could say it's a gut feeling. Do you think God speaks to us through the body? I'm wondering about your experiences with this. Maybe it's an experience of joy. Saying, yeah, this excitement that I feel in the body and my very cells wants me to keep going. We're going to talk about this later on, but I just want you to be able to call in and get in on that conversation in a couple of minutes. 888-914-9149. Well, speaking of resurrection, this is really amazing because the... um, Gospel for today is one of my my favorite accounts from the gospel. It's a parable that Jesus told, and it's only in the gospel of Luke. It's not in the other gospels. So this is really unique, 
And it's also unique among all the parables of Jesus. It's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. I'm just going to read it really quickly. If you went to Mass today already, you would have heard this. It's from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Jesus said to the Pharisees, There was a rich man who dressed in purple garments and fine linen and dined sumptuously each day. And lying at his door was a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who would gladly have eaten his fill of the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. Dogs even used to come and lick his sores. When the poor man died, he was carried away by angels to the bosom of Abraham, or Abraham's side, as it's sometimes called in different translations. The rich man also died and was buried. And from the netherworld, where he was in torment, and sometimes it actually says in hell, where he was in torment, he raised his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he cried out, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am suffering torment in these flames. Abraham replied, My child, remember that you received what was good during your lifetime, while Lazarus likewise received what was bad. But now he is comforted here, whereas you are tormented. Moreover, between us and you, a great chasm is established to prevent anyone from crossing who might wish to go from our side to yours or from your side to ours. He said, Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they too come to this place of torment. But Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. He said, Oh no, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Then Abraham said, If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. Of course, that powerful parable of Jesus in Luke chapter 16. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Like I said, it's unique because it's only in Luke, and it's the only parable where we know the people's names. Of course, Father Abraham is mentioned, but we know the name of one of the people in the parable, and that's, of course, Lazarus. And I remember when I was when I was in the Protestant seminary before I came back into the Catholic Church, I remember reading about this passage and looking at different biblical commentaries and seeing what the scholars had to say about it. And there were there was always a lot of conjecture about, hey, is this the same Lazarus that Jesus raises from the dead in John chapter eleven in the Gospel of John? It's really the the last straw. The the religious authorities are like, Okay, that's it, we have to kill this guy. He's raising people from the dead, he's unstoppable. And they even want to kill Lazarus. I mean, wow. Back from the dead. I don't really want to go through that again. They're trying to kill me too, Lord. And so, yeah, there is there's definitely a cost to following Jesus. We talked about that a little bit on, on yesterday's episode. But um, but it's not the same guy. <laughs> and, and this is not this has nothing to do with Jesus' friend, Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary, who he raised from. I hate when they when they call it the resurrection of Lazarus, by the way. He wasn't resurrected. He was resuscitated. He was going to die again eventually. When you're resurrected, you never die again. But remember, and again, this is something we talked about in recent days, popular boys' names in Roman Palestine in the first century 
one of the most popular boys' names was actually Lazarus. So it could have been it's it's sort of a generic name. It's like Steve. So it's not it's not that guy. It's not that guy. It's it's it is a parable, and and this kind of leads us into since we have the name here, and it, it's interesting that that only the poor man in the parable, Lazarus, is named. He's kind of a nobody in the eyes of the world, but the rich man who was really a quote-unquote somebody in the world's eyes and society's eyes, he is not named. We don't know the name of the rich man. Now you might say, hang on here. We do know his name, Kale. His name is Dives. You probably heard this. This is the parable about Dives and Lazarus. Well, that's not actually his name. Uh, Dives is, in Latin it just means rich. It's just the word for rich in Latin. <laughs> so he was a Dives man. He was a rich man. That's not a proper name. You might have heard of the uh, uh, the writing of John Paul the John Paul the Great, Dives at Misericordia. You know, rich in mercy, <clears throat> and God is certainly rich in mercy. That's for sure. But but it's interesting because usually it's the rich person who's named. Um, the rich often want to make names for themselves. They have the means to do it to make that happen. They can pay for advertising <laughs> in certain ways and. Uh, they have marketing budgets, if you will. If you're a Kardashian, you can certainly make yourself famous. But, but those who don't have these financial resources, these economic resources, they usually kind of remain part of this anonymous crowd. Nobody knows their names in many cases, but God does. They are certainly somebody's to God. Everybody's a somebody. There's the down and out, and there are the up and out as well. Even, yes, the, the wealthy, God loves them too. Of course he does. And it's not a sin, by the way. We're going to talk about this in a minute. It's not a sin to be wealthy. It's not a sin to have these resources. Don't forget, there are many people who follow Jesus who are also people of means. Think about Nicodemus. Think about Joseph of Arimathea. They simply put their, their means that God had given them. They, God gave them the ability to, to create wealth, and, he, and they put it at God's disposal. They, they recognized that their gifts did not come from themselves. They were humble about it. Everything that we have comes from God, as St. Paul says in one of his writings. What do you have that you haven't received from God? The answer is nothing. Everything comes from God, and we want to give it back to him. And, and so what is sinful, of course, is greed. What is sinful, of course, is being avaricious. What is sinful, of course, is putting your hope in these riches instead of in, in Almighty God. But aside from this question of the, the name of the guy, this is a parable at the end of the day. And some people think, okay— because it's a parable, it's more of a picture, it's more of a, a representative situation than, than an actual police report about two people that really existed, that means we can just kind of ignore it, right? Jesus isn't actually serious about this stuff about the afterlife, is he? Well, of course he is. He's simply using the parable as a teaching tool, and, and everything that the parable is telling us about the reality of heaven, hell, the afterlife, the final judgment, that once you're into eternity, once you've drawn your last breath on this planet, you can't change your situation. Your, your destiny is fixed. All of that is true regardless of the teaching tool that Jesus is using, whether he's just straight out talking about stuff or whether he's, he's teaching in the form of a, of a parable. And that's the genre he's using right now. But uh, in this way, it's kind of it's kind of a lot like the parable of the Good Samaritan. Was there an actual Good Samaritan? No, it's, it's, I mean, he's a representative figure, but there's still a lot of actual truths that can be uh, put in play here. So really, there, there's, there's, there are three things here that we need to know about this parable of the rich man and Lazarus. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. 
there's part one is what's going on with these two guys before they die. Part two is what's going on with these guys after death. There's before death and there's after death, the afterlife. And then the last thing is really just an explanation of all of this with the help of Father Abraham. So let's look at the first thing here. Let's look at the first thing. The rich man, like there's just sort of this huge contrast set up with this rich man and Lazarus. He essentially lives in a gated community, okay? His home actually has a gate. He, he, everything about him just screams luxury. He wears clothes made with purple dye. I say, what's the big deal? Well, if you were wearing purple dye, this is like a, this is like an elite. Only the elite could afford stuff like this. I mean, this is like Versace type thing. Um, you might recall in the Acts of the Apostles, uh, Paul makes a convert in the city of Philippi. And he meets like down by the river, this, this woman named Lydia and her friends. And, and Lydia, trust me, Lydia was not living in a van down by the river. With apologies to motivational speaker Matt Foley. She was probably driving a limo down to the river because she had this huge business of dealing in purple cloth. I mean, this is like she was doing really well as a businesswoman. And she just is enthralled by, by the message that, that St. Paul uh, brings with the gospel. And she becomes a disciple. <clears throat> and she really helps him out, helps out the early church. But this guy is he's wearing purple garments and it's just sort of fine luxury. He also had he also it says he dresses in fine linen. You know what that actually means? According to the late great biblical scholar Father Joseph Fitzmaier, who wrote an incredible commentary on Luke's gospel. Really, this whole thing about fine linen, it's actually talking about his underwear. I know it sounds sounds crazy, but he had he had really like top quality undergarments. This was not fruit of the loom, okay? Uh, again, this is like really high-end, silky smooth. All right, all right, that's enough about that. But um, they were not holy underwear, let's put it that way. Like, you know, most, most guys, um, we just kind of keep wearing it till it's worn out, and then we pull up the waistband and use it as a headband when we go jogging. We just, we just never want to give it up. But that's not, this guy was able to, he had it all. He had it all. And then, and then there's Lazarus. What, what a contrast. He, he has, he doesn't have any of this stuff. He is just begging for the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table. And then the dogs even come and, and lick his sores. Now, you might think, oh, that's so cute. Man's best friend. You know, this, this rich guy won't give him the time of the day. But, you know, the, the dogs just love this guy. They're just kind of trying to cheer him up. They're licking him. That's not what this means. As, as much as I, I love that, I have two dogs, and they, they're always kind of showering me with their quote-unquote kisses, and it's kind of gross, and they're licking my face. That's not what this is all about. This is actually showing that, he has lost all his human dignity completely, this, this, this poor man, Lazarus. Because, don't forget, uh, in, from the Hebrew perspective, dogs were considered unclean animals. So if you've got sores, and which is nasty enough as it is, and then the dogs are licking your sores, it's like, that's, that's the bottom of the barrel. In fact, the rabbis would, would later say that somebody in his condition, I don't even know if it's worth being alive at this point, uh, according to the Talmud, it says not having a life means a couple of things. It means depending on somebody else for your food, which was definitely his case. He, he couldn't get his own food. Depending on somebody else for your food, being ruled by a wife, and having a body full of sores. Those are the three things that mean you have no life. You depend on somebody else for your food. You're being ruled by a wife. Ah. And 
your body is full of sores. And he, so he's, I don't know if he was married or not, but uh, maybe she kicked him out. Maybe that's why he's where he is. I don't know. But Lazarus is in rough shape. But then, then we come to, this is how it looks on the surface from human eyes. But then we see what happens in the next thing, the afterlife. Because it, this is the great reversal. The way things are, will be in eternity are not exactly the way that things look right now. Death is that, that the great equalizer, the great reversal. Um, those things that the world praises, God often despises and vice versa. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. We're looking at this parable from today's gospel, the rich man and Lazarus. So all the silky smooth underwear, all the purple linen Versace robes, that is not going to do you any good in the afterlife. It doesn't mean you're going to be clothed in raiment of light in the afterlife. So Lazarus dies and he goes to paradise. He goes to Abraham's bosom. Okay, we don't really use the word bosom too much, but it basically means Abraham's side. And this is where the righteous dead of the Old Testament period went. And so after Jesus accomplishes the redemption, after his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven, he kind of just leads this kind of train, you know, of, of he leads the captives out. And these are these are those who are, it's a, it's a nice place. This is better than a vacation in the Maldives, you know. This is this is better than Maui. This is Abraham's bosom. It's, it's, it's nice. It's nice, but it's not quite the glories of heaven. So this is a really, really nice paradise until Christ opened up the gates of heaven. And so the the rich man, totally opposite situation. He dies, he's buried, but he ends up in hell. And in fact, the Greek word is Hades. So, by the way, just kind of a sidebar note here. This helps to explain something in the Mass when we say that in the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell. Jesus descended into hell. It used to be, remember in the old translation, the old English translation before it was changed in 2010, um, he used to say he descended to the dead. That was maybe one of the one of the times when the old English translation kind of like got it right, um, because e- even though it descended into hell, just because people misunderstand what that really means, there is of course the hell of the damned. But this this term Hades, this term Sheol, it, it really was kind of which is often translated as hell into English. It really is kind of this big tent, if you will. It covers the realm of the entire dead, like all the realm of the dead, including the hell of the damned, uh, purgatory, uh, this place of paradise, which eventually gets opened up. People can go into the very presence of the Trinity in heaven. But the entire realm of the dead was called hell, okay, which included the hell of the damned. I know it's maybe a little bit tricky, but so when we say Jesus descended into hell, he didn't go to the hell of the damned. He went to this place within the realm of the dead called Abraham's bosom or paradise, and he set the captives free. Not that they were like feeling like they were captives. They're in a good place here, but but you get the picture. Okay, so just a, just a little side note here. And then, of course, the rich man says Jesus in the parable. He looks up and he sees Lazarus and Abraham together in paradise. And he's like, man. This guy's got to help me. We'll find out what happens next. We've got to take a quick break here, right here on the Kale Clark Show. But call in right now, 888-914-9149. We'll be right back.
explaining the faith so you can explain it to others. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call toll-free to talk to me. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Something we're going to deal with in just a minute, this whole concept of does the body, is the body a way that God speaks to us through, we could sort of look at this as maybe a, a subset of the theology of the body, as it were, our bodies, emotions, our, our bodies, even even physical workings, getting that knot in your stomach, that that quote unquote gut feeling. And does God speak to us through these things, through these ways, through our joys, through our almost even our illnesses? Can they be a sign of something spiritually wrong? The body, mind, soul connection. I, I do believe there's something to this. We're, we're going to get into this. In just a moment, I'm curious to hear whether this has ever been an experience of yours. 888 But we were talking about this parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke's gospel, which is today's gospel. And uh, an off-air caller did call in wondering, uh, hey, is this the same Lazarus as the one that Jesus raised from the dead? We talked about this before the break. Uh, in all likelihood, no. Lazarus was a very, very common name. In fact... It was the third most popular male name in the time of Jesus in Roman Palestine. How about that? It was number three. Number one was Simon or Simeon. Of course, Simon Peter. Number two was Joseph. And number three was Lazarus. How about that? Number four was Judas, but not for long. Wasn't so popular after a while. All right, but but what's interesting here is that Lazarus is named in this parable. And again, it's it's not a real guy, but it's interesting that this this guy whose society thinks is absolutely worthless... Uh, has no cash, his health is shot, he he has no food, he's begging. The rich man knows who he is, which is kind of amazing because after death, there's this great reversal. Lazarus is in paradise, and the rich man is in hell. And he looks up from his agony, and he actually asks for Lazarus, hey, Father Abraham, he's at Abraham's side with the righteous dead, the saints, if you will, of the old covenant time. And this rich man calls up and he says, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Okay, so it's interesting that he knows who Lazarus is. He knows his name even. But he, the, the afterlife hasn't really changed the way he looks at this guy. He obviously didn't think he was a very important in life. He still views him as his unequal, he views him as somewhat less than himself. Hey, in fact, almost a servant. Hey, why don't you send this guy, Lazarus, to, he's got to do something for me here. Give him uh, a charge to give me uh, just a little bit of water on my tongue here. And what's what's really um, kind of uh, sad about this, of course, as one writer noted, there was a time when the rich man could have done for Lazarus exactly what he wants Lazarus to do for him, in the afterlife. Think about that. He could have given Lazarus a cup of cold water to cool his tongue in the heat of the day, but he didn't do it. He didn't do it. And now he's asking for the same help from Lazarus. How about that? But he's now being punished for his lack of love, for his lack of responsibility. And again, another saying of Jesus comes to mind, measure for measure. He also has another parable about that. 
the measure you give, that'll be the measure you get. If you're a person of forgiveness, mercy, generosity, and guess what? God is going to be merciful to you. God is going to be generous with you. But if you're if you're kind of stingy, if you will, with you know sharing what God has entrusted you with, don't expect that anything. You know, that's going to just continue on. God's going to be stingy with you in a certain sense. Um, there's this kind of great reversal that that happens here. And so he's like, all right, okay, uh, I'm not in a good spot. I can't get out of this. And Abraham even tells him, look, even if I could send Lazarus to help you, I can't. Because in, in Luke 16, verse 26, Abraham, Father Abraham, says to this rich guy, besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. So really, it's like the Grand Canyon. You can't leap over this thing. There is a separation. There's only two possible endpoints for the human person. You're either going to spend an eternity in heaven with God and the saints and the angels too, or there will be an eternity in an everlasting hell. Those are the two choices. You say, what about purgatory? Everyone who's in purgatory is going to heaven. This is not a place for a second chance. Everyone in purgatory is guaranteed to go to heaven. They just need to get cleaned up a little bit. It's the mudroom of heaven. And so this is the stark reality, and this is the truth of the parable, even though it is a parable. And then, obviously, this guy, uh, this rich character, who's not so rich anymore, obviously, in the afterlife, he's like, okay, okay, I, I'm done for here, but I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus. Again, he sort of, Lazarus can be my servant here. I, I don't really have any esteem for this guy. Send Lazarus to my father's house. I got five brothers. At least they can be warned while they're still alive so they don't have to come here this place of torment. Abraham says something very interesting to him. He says, well, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Just read their Bible. That's all they got to do. It's all there. No, 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 Father Abraham. You don't understand. If someone comes back from the dead and tells them about this place, then they're going to repent. Then they'll take it seriously. And Abraham says, look, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. And of course, everybody reading this, everybody reading Luke's gospel in the first century they know the truth of this because Jesus did rise from the dead and still people didn't believe it then and they don't believe it today, despite all the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And this is something we'll get into, of course, in much, much more detail as we get closer and closer to Easter. And what's even more true for us in our day and age is that not only do we have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament as well. We do know about the resurrection of Jesus. We do know about 2,000 years of church teaching. And if we don't know it, we at least have access to it. We have relevant radio, which is kind of this great catechism on the air. And so our excuses are way less than even these guys. So this is, this is uh, something that we need to pay heed to, especially during Lent. It's really, really important to us that our culture wants to deny, deny, deny the existence of an eternal hell. And, and, The great opiate of the people, if you will, the great opiate of the masses is that there is no hell. There is no judgment. There are no consequences in eternity for my action. But we know that that's not the case. And um, again, this this is just a great parable, obviously, by Jesus, the greatest teacher of all time. But 
but it really does kind of wed those two, the vertical plane and the horizontal plane. What is the kingdom of God all about? It's the kingdom of right relationships, having a right relationship with God and a right relationship to one another. And in fact, if we do have a right relationship with God, we are going to be able to relate well to other people on this horizontal level. This guy, if he had, a, if he was right with God in the first place, he never would have treated Lazarus like that. He never would have ignored this guy. He never would have treated him like human garbage. But he did. He did. And so we have to go beyond even even the way that we do charity. And of course, in Lent, it, it, this is the perfect time to think about this because we're, we're focusing more on prayer. We're focusing more on this relationship with God. We're also focusing on penance and we're focusing on almsgiving for the times we've failed to to model these values of the kingdom. It's not and it's not just throwing money at a problem. It's not just giving to a charity. I've given to a charity and then pff, I've done my, my, my due diligence. I've done my duty. Great. I could have a, a building named after me now or something and you know, it'll redound to my eternal glory. No, it's not just throwing money at a problem. In, in some ways, it's, it's restoration. And this is, this is, as one writer says, this is really the great challenge. And another parable, which I mentioned earlier, the parable of the Good Samaritan, this is an interesting one because not only does the good Samaritan rescue this guy who's been beaten up, nobody else wants to help him. He puts him in a hotel at his own expense. He says, I'm going to come back and check on this guy. But in case you run out of money for his medical bills, here's some cash. Take care of this guy. We need to bring him back. We don't just need to throw money at the problem. I'm going to actually come back. I'm going to personally take responsibility for this. And it's really kind of a, uh, such a different mindset from, from the way we normally think about, about almsgiving. Yeah, obviously, uh, financial resources and stewardship, it's, it's part of it. But, but we also have to, to help our brothers and sisters in more concrete ways. And I just want to read just something really quickly from uh, the letter of James, because it, it really is apropos to this. Of course, James being the bishop of Jerusalem in the first century, the relative of Jesus according to the flesh. And um, he, he says something really um, appropriate when it, when it comes to, to this. I'm just uh, finding it here. Just bear with me. Now, it's, this can be found, by the way, if you look at James chapter 2. In James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, this is what James says. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? This is a whole faith versus works argument. It's both and, by the way. It's not either or. Can such faith save him if you have faith but no deeds? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, kind of like Lazarus was. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. This is, this is what we were talking about a little bit uh, yesterday as well, talking about Jordan Peterson's comments on the church. Look, salvation is not a pop quiz. Do you know the right answers to the question? Can you recite the creed at the gates of St. Peter? That's not a, it's not a quiz. It's not just knowing stuff, although you do have to know it in order to do it. But are you, are you living it out? And James says, look, even the demons believe that God is one. But they're, they're, 
they are not going to be in heaven with God for all eternity. He, he goes on to say, You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous? And, and obviously, Father Abraham is in this parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. So powerful words by, by James here. And it's a great challenge for us as we continue to go through Lent. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 Well, as I said off the top, I wanted you guys to call in to, to ask you guys what you think about this. What do you think about the concept that God can almost speak to us through what's going on in our physical bodies? Is this a way that we can kind of know things? I, I tend to think yes, because we are a composite of body, mind, and soul. This is the unity of the human person, and yet our bodies are separated from our souls at death, but going to get our bodies back better than ever at the resurrection. And there, there's somebody I, I, uh, I follow on Twitter, huge following, uh, Dr. Nicole LaPera. Now, she's a psychologist, and we were talking about the psychologist, of course, Jordan Peterson yesterday. Nicole LaPera has about a million followers, just over a million followers on X, which used to be called Twitter. And I don't think she's Catholic. I mean, I could be wrong, but but some of the stuff that, that she, I think she sort of unwittingly hits on some things that are, are true from a spiritual perspective as well. But here's a little thread that she had a few days ago, which I thought was really intriguing on the, on this on this topic. And I wonder if, if this has ever happened to you. 888-914-9149. She, she wrote this. And by the way, her uh, her tagline, her uh, handle on Twitter is at the holistic psych, the holistic P S Y C. Um, psych. You remember you used to say that people psych. I'm only kidding, but no, no kidding here. Okay, this is what she says. She says your body knows what your mind can't. Here's what your body knows if you practice listening. So, is this is any of this stuff ever happened to you? She says your body knows when it's time to leave that relationship. It shows you through symptoms like chronic colds, stomach aches, and this feeling in your gut that it's time to protect yourself. Your body knows when something is worth pursuing. It shows you through the feeling of joy you get when you think about it. That electric feeling in your cells is telling you, keep going. Your body knows when you need more time to process something. It shows you through exhaustion that's trying to slow you down. Rest is how the body makes sense of life. Your body knows when you're in danger. It shows you, uh, it shows you through a racing heart and adrenaline pumping through your veins. When the hair on the back of your neck goes up, your body's protecting you by being on full alert. You know, this is a famous fight or flight response. What about this? Your body knows when you're safe with someone. It sh- and I hope you feel safe listening to The Gail Clark Show. It shows you by relaxed breathing, feelings of peace, and appreciation. Spend more time with whoever brings your body into that state. Your body knows when you're safe with someone. 
Your body knows when you've been deceived. That feeling of your heart dropping, the knot in your stomach, is guiding you to be aware. To not ignore it or to try to talk yourself out of it. Has this stuff ever happened to you? 888-914-9149. Your body knows when you're experiencing trauma from the past in the present. It helps you by disassociating. By helping you leave your body, quote-unquote, so you can survive the moment. When you come back into your body, remind yourself you are safe. Oftentimes people who have PTSD, they'll experience maybe something like this. Um, Very, very great trauma. She also says your body knows when you're grieving. It's heavy. It's difficult to pull yourself out of bed. This is your body telling you to take it slow, to be kind to yourself, and let yourself cry when you need to. Your body knows more than your mind. Your body is your intuitive guidance system. Do you tune in and listen? So that's uh, Dr. Nicola Perra. I'm just wondering, do you guys think there's value in this? Do you guys think there is this body-mind-soul connection that the body can kind of tell us stuff? Maybe this is one of the ways that God speaks to us as well. I want to hear what you guys have to say. 888-914-9149. Be right back with your phone calls right after this. Helping you keep your mind off traffic and on the more important things in life. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the show. 888-914-9149. Just before the break, we were talking about a thread by a very famous psychologist on X. It used to be called Twitter. Dr. Nicole LaPera, and she's talking about sort of the ways in which the body can kind of know things. The body can, she says, maybe it sometimes know more than our minds do, be an intuitive guidance system. She's not coming from a Catholic perspective, I don't think, but, but is this one of the ways that God can speak to us through things that are going on in our bodies, our, our emotions, our gut feelings, our reactions to things physically? It's an intriguing concept. I want to hear what you guys have to say. Let's go to the phones right now, 888 Nine one four nine. Let's go to line three, Mary Lou in Colton, California. Hi, Kale. This, thanks for taking my call. You got it. You got it. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, I'm so excited that you mentioned the body keeps score because, or it was the body. Yeah, I think it was the Bezel van der Kolk book. And I'm a convert to Roman Catholicism. It's been the happiest 25 years of my life. Wow. It's such a wonderful experience to be here in the church. And But the body wasn't talked about. And so when I heard you talking about this, the intuitive body, I, I used to dance in Los Angeles to five rhythms. I read a book called Sweat Your Prayers. <laughs> and in that wow. book, Sweat Your Prayers, and the other book is called Maps to Ecstasy. And okay. in those two books, what, what I found after going to talk therapy for trauma and childhood issues that I had experienced, we found that we needed to find more healing in my somatic life, in my body. Hmm. And there's a mystic, an Episcopal mystic by the name of Cynthia Burgo. And in a YouTube video, she talks about how every human emotion that we have is experienced in and through the body. And so I hmm. went and ventured through it. I read Sweat Your Prayers, and I started doing Five Rhythms Dance five, six, seven years in Los Angeles every Sunday with a, a teacher. And I never wept so much in my life. I still go to mass, but I was also addressing my somatic life, my body, without words, just moving through to music, the sweat your prayers practice, well, like a ma- dancing meditation. Well, Mary Lou, let me, let me ask you this question. Have you ever had an experience where 
you feel like God was speaking to you through stuff that was going on in your body. Exactly. I went through a breakup um, a week before we were to break up. I he we were hugging. I won't get to into that, but we were hugging, <laughs> okay. and I and and I began to weep. And I began to weep like if somebody hmm. had died. And oh, I had been practicing that so I had been practicing the somatic. <clears throat> Thing for five, six, seven years already. So the teacher there had said, remember, your body's like a honing, it's like a honing fork. After your body comes alive like this, doing this practice, your body becomes like a, an integrated, like a honing fork. And it, you can almost know things in your body before you know it in your psyche. So when I was weeping with my partner, who was soon to be ex, he broke up with me a week later. I did not know it was coming. He broke up with you. He said, why are you? Yeah, he did the next week. Uh, it was a week later. And I didn't know that in my head, and I didn't even see it coming. But a week later, he did break up with me. And when I was weeping, I was weeping as if somebody had died. And what was dying, of course, was my dream of this relationship and a marriage Whoa. or whatever that was going to come out of it. But it was a real prophetic kind of thing that was coming through my somatic life. But it all started with that book that you mentioned, which I'm so excited that you even are talking about, Incarnational Sight. Because yeah. incarnate, incarnate. Well, this yeah, is, this is incarnate. Well, absolutely. Like, I mean, obviously, Christ became incarnate, and that's that's a really interesting. I mean, it just opens up so many possibilities for talking about how we are to live in, in the body, of course, and this is God's will for us. But that particular book, and I, I do want to read that book because I, I know people are talking about it. I made reference to it. I haven't actually read it myself. It's called "The Body Keeps the Score." And Mary Lou, thank you very much for, for sharing that. And, and she obviously shared a, a time when almost like her body gave her a premonition, like something really bad is going to happen. It felt like a death, and it turned out to be the, the death of her relationship at the time. And so uh, her uh, significant other broke up with her. They were uh, She kind of told her call screener, I think, that they were engaged to be married. So um, whew, I think there are ways in which the body kind of, tips us off to things for sure. And uh, I think it's really important to have good Catholic spiritual direction too, because I mean, I can't speak to any of those resources that you mentioned. Obviously I don't uh, think a couple of them are coming from a Catholic perspective. So, I mean, I haven't read them, haven't heard of them, um, but it's really important to have a spiritual guide with you to help you sort out some of this stuff because just to make sure, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's out there that, that may be a little bit suspect uh, in, in this field. So Good to, to filter this through the, the Orthodox teaching of the Church, of course. So let, let's go to another phone call. But thank you so much for calling in, Mary Lou. Hope you call back another time. That was really interesting. Let's go to line four, Ken in Plymouth, Minnesota. Hey, Ken. Hello. Good to have you. So, yeah, thank you for taking my call. Um, I just want to comment on, on God working through the body. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I have a personal experience of that. Um, I, I was at a retreat one time, a Curcio retreat, and uh, during uh, one of the masses in the morning, um, during the prayer of the faithful, um, you know, the people were yeah. offering their intentions. Mm -hmm. And a gentleman just asked for prayers for himself. He, mm -hmm. he said, I'm just, would I ask for your prayers for a difficult time I'm going through? And suddenly I just start crying. Just. Mm bawling, tears flowing down my face. And before that, I never cried. Hmm. It just you wasn't just part of my makeup. You weren't a 
not a crier at all. At all, at all. And so this, this, when the tears start pouring down my face, it was so strange and bizarre. I, I could only think, okay, the Holy Spirit has hit me over the head here. There's some, there's, there's a message here for me. And, and the only thing I could think of is that I needed to respond to this guy in some way. Hmm. Um, so, so after mass I did, and uh, I went up and talked to him and, and the only thing I could think of was, you know, to say it was God loves you, you know, God loves you yeah. as you are yeah. and, and nothing you will do will stop God from loving you. Um, and that, later on, he told me that that's something that he really needed to hear at that time. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, I, I really can. I can. I really do think that's the Holy Spirit at work. I, I can only think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, that is powerful. And, uh, I had a, it, it, thank you so much for that call, Ken. It, I, I, we have a friend, um, uh, she's a parent uh, of of one of my my daughter's friends, my daughter's school friends, and and she was saying that she was in this like dollar store like a few weeks ago. She was telling us that she saw this lady in the dollar store, and she just had this overwhelming feeling that she had like she was supposed to go up to this woman who she'd never seen before in her life and just looking for bargains in the dollar store and just tell her, hey, just so you know, God loves you. That that's just that simple phrase. God loves you, and she's like, "This is crazy. What, what? I can't. This can't be God." But she's like, "Okay, I'm going to be obedient to this. I'm just going to do it." And so she tapped her on the shoulder and said, "Hey, listen. You don't know me from Adam, but I, I just want to tell you this. God loves you." And this woman just lost it. She just started bawling, started hugging her. She was like, "What do I do now?" And she said, "You have no idea." how much I needed to hear that right now. She was going through this particular situation. And so I, I do think that, that, that God gives us these little calls in life for sure. No question about that. All right, let's go quickly to Holly in Texas. Holly, we got about, about a minute here. What's your story? Hi. Uh, yeah. It's so, it's such a joy to be able to talk to you. Oh my goodness. Uh, oh. so, uh, I agree, fully agree. Uh, who other than God would be able to intervene in my case, uh, me and my brother, we're about uh, teenagers. We're mm-hmm. in the Corpus Christi Bay swimming, and it's all nice and fine and dandy. And he goes a little bit farther, and I'm like, okay, I'll go a little farther. So we're probably go- going into the ocean when all of a sudden um, I get this overwhelming feeling, and I get tingles all over my body, and it's like it freaked me out. And I'm like, mm-hmm. it, it was a strong sense telling me, get out of the water. So, I, of course, I'm like, I'm going to get out of the water. So I told my brother, hey, uh, let's get out of the water. I don't feel really good. And he's like, I'm not going to go out of the water. You get out of the water. So, of course, I'm like, all right, fine. You go out in the water. And so I get out. And not even 30 seconds later, I hear screaming. My brother's screaming, and he's swimming back to the shore. And he's covered in jellyfish. Covered in jellyfish. Oh, so that was really definitely a premonition. You need to get out right now. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, We poured all the beer on him, you know, get the... You know, jellyfish. Is that off. is that how you get rid of them? You pour beer on them? Oh, it's just to this uh to sanitize the area that was sunk. Wow. Wow. Hey wow, I almost hate to waste the beer, but uh but hey, with there's jellyfish <laughs> on you, you gotta do it. You gotta do it, absolutely. <laughs> hey Holly, well, the the joy is all mine to talk to you. Thank you so much for calling in. That was Holly in Texas near the Rio Grande. And um it's not called the Rio Grande, is it? It's the Rio Grande, right? Jim? You tell me. I'm Canadian. I don't really know. But anyways, um, hey, guys, it was a pleasure to have you guys on the show today. Rio Grande, of course, yes. Uh, I always want to put that French accent on everything. Rio Grande. It's a, it's a grande. It's like Starbucks. You get the grande. And I'll tell you what, 
It's been a grande time with you today on the Kale Clark Show. It's always fun. It's always so much fun. We always run out of time. And we have today again. But guess what? Good news. I'll be back tomorrow at this time for the Kale Clark Show, 5 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio. If you missed any of the show, we will have it up as a podcast in just a few minutes on the Relevant Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it. Fun series we're doing on Jonah on the Faith Explained, 1230 Central. Don't miss that, that as well. Timory's coming up next, followed by the Family Rosary with Father Rocky. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Alog took your phone calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.